0: You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Happy Father's Day, guys. I appreciate that you are here with us, joining, celebrating with us, and worshiping. My name is Adam McKeldry. I serve here as the associate pastor, and it is an honor to be sharing with you God's word. You know we've been in the book of First Corinthians for a while now, and today we're gonna go. We're gonna be in chapter eight and kind of skip a little bit through nine and ten. But I thought it might be a good idea for us to just kind of remember where we've been so far. So if you look, if you remember back when we started this series and we were look, reading through what Paul is writing to this church that he planted in Corinth, he starts off calling them back to unity. Because apparently there were some disagreements, some division happening within the church because they were disagreeing about which pastor, which teacher they preferred the best, whether it was Paul or Apollos or Peter. And their preferences were dividing them. And Paul was calling them back to the message that he had given them when he was first there, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ. And he goes in and he talks about how that message is foolishness. The message that he had given to him was foolishness because if you think about it, this is a a society that is all built on influence and power. And so to have a message that is looking at people with the same kind of dignity, everybody is welcome to the table. Everybody is loved by God. It loved the least of these. It loved those people. That was the message that he gave them. And it was foolishness. And he was calling them back to that. And then he's like, not only that, but we are the temple of God. And they knew very much about temples in their area. There were numerous temples within the city of Corinth. And he's like, we are together the place that God's spirit dwells. We are his priests and we are to be putting him on display every day. Those are the things that he was calling them back to. And from there, he starts to administer some some rebuke and some correction because there were some things going on that he was hearing about from a family that was living there. They were allowing this young man who was, Having relations with his father's wife is what the text says. Hopefully, I'm, we're, we interpret that as his stepmom. But the church was okay with it. They were actually very proud and boastful, like, look at us. We're so amazing and forgiving and loving that we let this guy still be a part of the, of the church. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing? That's great that you're trying to love on this guy and it, and show the world that God is a loving God and a forgiving God. But what you're doing, the pagans don't even do that. The pagans don't even accept that kind of behavior. You have to be better. You have to use godly wisdom, wisdom that is beyond our understanding, to know how to judge these kind of circumstances. And you have to be willing to make hard choices. And then he goes on, he's like, you've got to use that wisdom that God has given you to be able to handle the conflict that arises between, the two, between you guys. Stop going out into public court when you have a disagreement with each other in lawsuits and having somebody who's not even a believer settle judgment on you. God has given you a brain. Use it. Use it to resolve that conflict. And from there... Paul starts to move into a conversation about sexual immorality. And that's where we've been the last couple of weeks, is talking about sexual immorality and marriage and singleness. And if you haven't been able to catch up on any of those, they are on our website. If you go to lifeordotp.com sermons, you can find all those sermons that we've been doing. But the last couple of weeks, I, I feel like we're really, really good. Josh did a phenomenal job of walking through the devastation that sexual immorality has on us as individuals, on our families, on our culture. I really encourage you guys to take the time and go listen to those. So now that we kind of remember where Paul has been so far through the letter, let's get into 1 Corinthians If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians, or it'll be up here on the screen. Here's what he writes. He says, now about food sacrifice to idols. Am I the only one who thinks Paul's spirit animal is Doug, the dog from the movie Up? Like... Here he is just talking about sexual immorality and marriage and singleness, and then all of a sudden he's like, squirrel. (laughs) Now about food sacrificed to meat. Like, what is that? What's going on here? I think if we spend some time looking at the context of what is around meat sacrificed to idols... I think we'll be able to see a connection as to why this was his train of thought. So let me talk to you guys a little bit about that. So in this pagan world, in the city of Corinth, like I, like we've said all along, there are numerous temples to numerous different gods, and a typical sacrifice at one of these temples looked like them, the priests ushering in an animal, a bull, a lamb, or goat, or whatever bringing it into the center of the, the temple, right in front of that altar. And they would take a mallet and they would bang it over the head, stun it knock, it, knock it loopy. And then they set it up on the altar and cut its throat and start to bleed it out. And they wouldn't wait for the, all the blood to, to run out, which, which would not be a kosher kill for a Jew. God was very specific on how they were supposed to sacrifice the animals to make it sure that it was a, a, a good kill. And they were supposed to, there was a specific way that they were supposed to cut the throats and bleed the, the body of all its blood. So this would be a strangled animal in their mind. So the priests would then take some of the blood and they'd sprinkle it here, there, and everywhere, just part of the ritual. And then they'd start to cut up the animal. Some of the meat they would put on the altar that was burning up there as a sacrifice. Some of the meat they would take for themselves to eat. Most of it, most of it would be sent down to the Agora, which is the marketplace down in the city. And all the temples would do that. And some of it, some of that meat would be used in festivals and feasts that took place. And now, there are three different reasons why they would have these festivals or feasts. The first one would be a religious festival that's going on, a celebration specifically for the God that the temple would be throwing and and sponsoring, and so the meat would be used in that. A second reason that might happen is perhaps you are... Wealthy individual in that city, and you want to flaunt your wealth and your influence to your friends, so you would invite all your friends to your house or the dining hall that's up at the temple, and you would go in there, and you would party, and you would eat that meat that had been sacrificed there. The third one that was probably more common was at a guild feast. Now think of a guild like... uh, What's the word? I had a brain fart here. Uh, (laughs) I still can't find it. There it is. A union. Think of it like a union. Wow. Good morning. I'm Adam. Welcome to real life. Let's start over. So it's a guild feast. Unions like carpenters or stonemasons or artists... And they all had their specific pagan god that they would worship, so they would get together pretty regularly and have one of these feasts, and they would have the meat there. Now, what these feasts usually consisted of is that they would gather together, they would take that meat, and they would gorge themselves on it, just eat a ton of it for a long time. And then there would become this part in the feast called a symposium, And it was at this point that most of the time they they told the the, they excused the women and children and they left the feast. And the men would stay there, and that is when the drinking would begin. Heavy, heavy drinking. And then they would bring in entertainment. And sometimes that entertainment could just be somebody to come in to recite poetry or to debate philosophy. But more often than not, that entertainment were high-priced call girls or, call, or boys that were brought in. And they too would be trained in how to play an instrument or how to sit down and debate with you about politics or philosophy. But m- most often, things turn to a sexual nature in those feasts. So can you see why maybe in Paul's mind as he is talking about sexual immorality in the community that this would be a natural step for him to start talking about sacrificing or eating meat sacrificed to an idol? So let's go back to the text. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up those who think they know something do not know as they ought to know you know Paul's not condemning knowledge or the pursuit of knowledge here he is just reminding the church that amassing knowledge has the tendency to puff up one's ego you guys know, you have experienced interactions with people like that before, right? Like having a conversation with somebody who thinks of themselves more highly than they ought, that they have all the information and they know better than anybody else. You don't walk away from those interactions feeling very loved, do you? That's why Paul's like, that's what knowledge does, but love Builds up. Knowledge is all about yourself. Love builds up not only yourself, but also builds up the other person. Let's go on. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or in hell, Are on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through him through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. You know, I've, I've been on this path of faith with God for a while, and I have learned so much from the beginning. I've learned that I don't know anything, first off. But I've learned to be, to be okay with that and be content with that. I'm definitely one of those people that Paul addressed that does not know what I do not know. And I know that this lifelong journey of discovery is about God and myself. And I'm sure some of you have been there too. And as you have journeyed through, the, what you knew, thought you knew about God has developed over time. What you thought was maybe wrong in the beginning, God has shown you that it may not be as wrong as you thought. Maybe things that you did or saw that was equated to evil, you don't equate it to that anymore. Kind of like what he's talking about here. Like these are new believers in the faith, and so for them, they're not sure. They don't quite know who God is to the depth that some of these other people do. And so for them, eating meat is still like sacri- eat, that, it's still the uh, idol meat, and it's still worshiping them. But food does not bring us near to God, Paul says. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however. The the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister from whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Here's a question. Is Paul for or against the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. Because if you think about the context that we discussed earlier, what happens at these feasts with the meat that is uh, sacrificed to idols, it feels like a no-brainer. Yeah, Paul's definitely against it. But I think what we just read might indicate that there are some caveats to where Paul stands with this. Maybe it's not as cut and dry as we think. I think 100%, absolutely all the time, every time, Paul is against eat that meat that is eaten in the temple at those feasts that lead to sexual immorality, 100% all the time he'll say, don't do that. And I think the other time that he would say, don't eat the meat that is sacrificed to idols is when it becomes a stumbling block to those around you. Something that will trip them up, something that will, could help lead them back into the path of sin and destruction. And Paul goes on in chapter 9. He goes into this big, long explanation about all of the rights that he has a, as an Apostle. It's like, I have the right to do this thing. I have the right to have a wife. I have the right to, to get paid. I have the right to, to be who I am. But he says, I don't exercise those rights. If you look unto verse 19, here's how he finishes that thought. After talking about all the rights that he has as an apostle, but that he chooses to give up, Here's why he does it. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And he talks about a few things about to become, uh, to the Jews, I become like a Jew, to the unbelievers, I become a believer. But then he finishes it up in 22. It says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. The reason Paul was willing to give up something that he felt was a right for him was for the sake of the gospel, for the good of the gospel to be preached and accepted to everyone, even though he knew it would only be accepted by some. As I was prepping for this over the last few weeks, I I came across a, a teaching by N. T. Wright, one of the guys that we go to a lot for stuff, and he is really good on, on his material on Paul. But I found that he has this quote that I was just so good I couldn't help but share it with you guys. And here is what he says. He says, if Jesus is the heart of your monotheistic worldview, if Jesus Christ is the heart and center of the way that you see the world and live in the world, if he's the heart of your monotheistic worldview, then the most important thing is the spiritual health and nurture of your brothers and sisters of Christ. So is he? Is Jesus Christ the heart of the way that you live and breathe and see this world? Because when you are, when you are the center of the way you view this world, It is not a great place to be. Because even if you are if you're sitting at the center of your own world, and you, even though you're trying to follow Jesus, like your tendency is going to be to see the world just like the Corinthians did. I have the right to do whatever I want because I am free in Christ. Does your freedom in Christ give you the right Really, to do whatever you please? Let's go back to Paul. Because he continues this conversation and starts to wrap it up at the end of chapter 10. And actually, I think it's a conversation that he started way back in the middle of chapter 6 because he uses the same sayings that they did that he did back in chapter 6 when he started talking about sexual immorality. Here's what he says in verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Which harkens back for me what he talked about right in the beginning of chapter 8, that Love builds up. Doing what you want is not constructive because it does not build up. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. It's not about your rights. It's not about your wants, because those often come at the expense and the detriment of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Remember that meat that got sold, sent down to the market? Paul's like, eat it. It doesn't matter. Everything is God's. You want a big T bone steak or a big thick ribeye? Go for it. Go ahead. As long as it doesn't cause somebody else to stumble. And he goes on if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it both for the sake of the one who said it and for the sake of the conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. It's about other people. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? I take part in the meal with thankfulness, Why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? And here it is. So whether whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, I've always been working through this book. I know you guys have seen a lot of similarities between what the Corinthian church was going through and what we still go through today. This is still applicable to us today. And we've seen some of their their sayings that they've had throughout the, the course of Paul writing. I have the right to do anything. Food for the body or for the stomach and the stomach for food. We're no different. We have our own little sayings we have here at Real Life. Put God on display. One that I think that we have that encompasses and embodies what Paul has been talking about is is this fight for relationship, not for being right. Fight for relationship, not for being right. Next week, when we're doing our partnership class, one of the things that we do as we go through our statement of faith And we make sure on the the front end of that to let everybody know that there are different elements in there, things that we believe are essential for salvation and things that we believe that are not, but that we believe about God. And we say we are going to agree to disagree on those things because we want to fight for relationship. One of the things that we talk about, we're actually going to be preaching on here in a couple of weeks, which is spiritual gifts. And with spiritual gifts, you know, there's, there's some people that believe that they're still in use today. There's some people that believe only some of them are used today still, and some that say, no, spiritual gifts are not in use. So you can see why it is important for us. In times like that, like, let's sit down and have a conversation, but I am going to not fight you on who is right on something like that. I'm going to fight to stay in a relationship with you so that we can still have those conversations. Even if you disagreed with one of the things that we say are essential for salvation, I'm not going to fight you over that because no one in the history of the world has ever been brought to relationship with Jesus Christ through convincing them that they were wrong. Right? Love builds up. We have the opportunity in our lives every day to choose whether we're going to fight for relationship or fight to be right. Some of you may have been here long enough, or not here, but in this walk with faith, of faith with God long enough that you can remember the time that playing cards was evil. Like, you, you could not play cards. It was looked at as evil because there was a connection between playing cards and where the cards were usually played, where there was gambling, where there was drinking, where there was smoking, where there was sexual immorality that would occur. If that's something that you grew up in, that's what you believed. That's what you knew. But as you grew in your faith with Christ, maybe you've figured out that that's not necessarily true. There doesn't, there's not necessarily a connection between those two things. And Maybe you have matured and, and you're able to play a game of pinochle or go fish for fun every now and then. But if you invited somebody that still believed that, what good would it do to try to convince them of the new knowledge that you have learned, to convince them that you are right and they are wrong? It does no good. It only breaks relationship. You talk about, you know, you have to choose which battles you're going to fight, what hill you're going to die on. Like a lot of times when you choose to die on a hill about what is right in your mind... The casualty right next to you is relationship. But choosing to fight for a relationship does not mean that you have to fight for a relationship with someone who is unsafe or an unhealthy person. I think about the guy that Paul had wrote about in chapter 5 that was in sexual immorality with his stepmom. Like he told him, you guys fight for what is right here. Leave the door open for relationship. But you have to stand on God's word. Fighting for relationship and not for being right does not mean that we have compromised God's word or his principles or his character. Fighting for relationship means that you are choosing to put down your own rights, your own perceived freedoms for the good of others so that you can love them and build them up. As we get ready to take communion together, I want to share with you guys a quote uh, from a guy, one of the faculty members from the Infusion Bible Conference that we hosted here uh, this past week. But before I do that, if you're new with us here, you're new with us joining us online, like we we are we are family. You do not have to be a, a partner or a regular tender to partake in communion with us. The only thing we ask is that you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that is as you, join with us. We love to celebrate together. If you forgot to grab your elements, there are some guys in the back of the room that can bring you one of these things. If you just raise your hand, they'll come to you. So in a couple of sessions last week in this conference, there was a similar theme that came up that we've been talking about today. And I think it was Brad Gray. In the first day, was talking like, when you choose to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that is now your identity. Everything else is tertiary, it's on the side, it doesn't matter. Like, you are not an American Christian, you are a Christian. Who happens to be from America? You are not, fill in the blank, whatever social, political, ethnic, racial, whatever thing you want to throw in there, Christian. You are a Christian who happens to be a Republican, a Democrat, a white person black person, a Native American. That is not, those do not identify you. That is not who you are. You are a follower of Jesus Christ first. Because what happens if we identify ourselves as this thing first, then Christian? We fight for these things. And we sacrifice relationship all day long based off of the, the things that we believe are true, are valuable about whatever this thing is. And we destroy a relationship with one another. We destroy our ability to put God on display. But if we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus, Christians first, and we choose to fight for relationship, who's right or wrong, won't matter because God is the judge. As long as we love one another. The quote, ah yes. So the quote, Brad Nelson, another one of the faculty members says, if the preservation and enjoyment of my way of life conflicts with the announcement and embodiment of the kingdom of heaven, I have a problem. a problem. You know, Jesus, Jesus did not allow the preservation and enjoyment of his life to get in the way of the announcement and embodiment of the kingdom. We have evidence of that right here. We get to celebrate that together every week right here to remember that he sacrificed it all for his kingdom. And we are supposed to be following his example. So on that night, he took that bread, he blessed it and gave it to his guys, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. After the meal, he took the cup, blessed it and said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is my blood. Whenever you drink it, remember me. Remember the sacrifice I'm going to be giving to you. Let's take it together. Father God Lord I thank you that you are the God that you are. That you are a God who has modeled for us how to fight for relationship not for being right. That you wanted a relationship with us so deeply, so intimately that you sent your son to be here to show us what it looks like to live for other people, to give up our rights for the love of others. Lord, I pray that as we walk out here to, out of here today, as we turn off our computers or TVs at home, Lord, that you We'll just impress it upon our our hearts that we are yours. First and foremost, that we are your children, that we are Christians, we are believers and followers of Jesus Christ first. Not plus anything. Followers of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.